Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Glad you're here for yet another episode around this fascinating topic of ADHD, or as they like to call it, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Yeah, that's the label. That's the label. If you're new to our podcast, I invite you to not just listen to this episode, but to kind of browse around, we have tons of world-renowned experts, we have parent interviews, we have author interviews, we have rants, we have adults who used to have ADHD, used to be medicated, speaking, if you will, from the future back to their past and so forth, right? So browse around, but hey, if you're here for the first time, thank you for being here. We appreciate your support. Uh, the last couple of weeks have been off the hook. We have doubled our listenership. Uh, I know part of it has to do with uh, Gabor Mate being out on tour with his new book, uh, The Myth of Normal, which I highly recommend for anyone to read. Not necessarily related to ADHD, although there's a lot of uh, work in there around ADHD as well. But just in, in regards to what we consider as normal in this society and, and especially diving into healthcare and, you know, diseases, disorders and what we've come to believe is how it is when it's really not. Um, so highly recommend our former podcast guest Gabor Mate's book, The Myth of Normal. And so, yeah, our listenership has doubled. We are now around the world. There's some countries that I now see that are listening in that I haven't even heard of. Very educational to Google and look it up. So thank you for all your support. If you are somebody who's back to listen for more episodes, we love you, love you, love you. Spread it with your friends, family members who you think could benefit of this uh, work. So thank you. Well, let's dive in. ADHD and divorce, the big ugly D word. I wanted to do an episode around this because for years now, uh, doing research on ADHD, I've come across many headlines, even books, and author statements or expert statements, even statistics, right? Even scientific studies that say, oh, uh, families with children with ADHD are more likely to get divorced than families that don't have children with ADHD. And I always thought like, um, okay, well, that makes sense on the surface, but you know, no, you know me, I like to go below the surface. So I thought, well, let's dig a little deeper. Is that really true? So that took me on a, I don't know, it was probably two or three years ago when I first had that thought. So it's been a while. And the topic has come and gone, come back and gone again. But last couple of days, I was like, got to do it. So let's look at this. Now, I'm just going to give you my nutshell overview of, you know, my answer, which is I do not believe that it is due to a child having these behaviors 
if you're new, you will hear me say this again and again, that ADHD is not a disorder. It's a label for symptoms. Now, these symptoms are really behaviors of a child or an adult, right? We mostly focus on children. That's our, that's our sort of target audience is really parents with children with ADHD. So again, I do not believe that children who have these behaviors are the cause of the divorce. Now, we will have to dig a little deeper because yes, they have something to do with that particular set of parents eventually pulling the trigger on a divorce. I will say that. But it is not the cause. A child with this so-called disorder is not the cause of a divorce. That is my statement. I feel like I'm in court and now I have to like, you know, benefit of the doubt. I got to prove that beyond a shadow of doubt. <laughs> I'll do my best. Ah, oh, by the way, happy Tuesday, October 11th, at least where I'm at in Ojai, California. Beautiful sunny day. Just want to reflect on, you know, being alive and being able to do this and, and, and I'm blessed. And I've had my own emotional challenges and I'm still in it. And there's a lot of rawness in me, a lot of uh, emotions that I've been feeling. And I won't go into details, but some of them will, will sort of fit into the story as well, talking about uh, ADHD and divorce. So let's continue. So here's my hypothesis, right? That it's not because of the ADHD that a child has been labeled with that these so-called ADHD family divorces happen more so than in families with, children, with, with no ADHD children. Okay, so let's look at it. Now, when two parents divorce, right, they've made a decision to go their separate ways. And oftentimes in really nasty divorces, it doesn't end up being a, 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 as peaceful as it could be. Because I always say that Divorces aren't what messes up children. Nasty divorces, immature, spiteful, hatred-filled divorces is what really leaves a mark. Now, don't get me wrong. Any big life event like a divorce, of course, affects a child. I just believe that, first of all, we cannot trauma-proof our children. Second of all, from a spiritual point of view, I believe that we're all here to get the lessons we are getting and we are all are all on a journey, always. And so we can guide our children along to be as safe and as trauma-proof as possible, but there is no bulletproof, 100% trauma-proofing our children. So even in the case of a divorce, because look, we all, I don't want to call them mistakes, but we all enter with certain relationships at a point in our lives that might seem like the right thing. And then 10 years later or whatever, however much time later, we realize, mm, I don't think I was ready or mm, I never really fully gave myself, you know, I never opened my heart fully. And now, you know, there's infidelity and there's all sorts of stuff and it's just like falling apart, right? I don't believe those are mistakes. I believe those are lessons that we come here to get, right? So, but I just want to, again, come back to earth and pull out of the spiritual metaphor. I like to go there sometimes, but let's say you don't believe in that. So let's stay with, um, you know, the fact that yes, a divorce isn't a great thing. 
it does stress out a child, children, right? It does add additional stressful potential trauma and so forth, right? So when we do that as parents, when we do need to go our own way, then my advice is do it as peacefully and as loving as possible without disrupting the children's lives, you know, too much. That would be my layman or what do they call that armchair advice, right? So now if parents divorce and they have children and one of their children or both or three or whatever have ADHD, as they call it, what does that have to do with a divorce? Well, let's look at it. A really rambunctious child, right, will kick up a lot of dust. Meaning, if you as a parent are in a stressful career and you get called two, three times a week to the principal's office because your child supposedly is not paying attention or doing some stuff in the classroom that's not welcome or is the clown or whatever, right? The hyperactive child, as they say. That is stressful on top of your stressful career. Now, if two parents, for example, do not align, if one parent says, well, our child needs to be on medication, and the other parent says, no, I don't believe in medication, so right, more stress. Now, if you need to manage a child's medication, right, schedule, and the often, you know, the emotional side effects, the physical side effects, there's a lot of side effects. I don't want to go into this now. We have plenty of episodes to talk about the very dangerous and often downplayed side effects of um, giving children, you know, as, as, as young as three years old, these very strong medications that are Schedule 2, DEA, you know, you can look this up, Schedule 2 alongside of meth and cocaine, right? So, but that can be stressful to manage those side effects, right? And then remember, there's the societal pressure of knowing that other people know that your child is, quote unquote, not normal, broken, a little crazy, hyperactive, that one, you know, whatever the, the labeling is, people judge. We're human beings. We judge. Trust me, you and I judge. Yes, you do. Because I do too. We're always judging. That's just part of our operating system. It's when we actually sort of allow the other people to feel the judgment and think we're better than them, that's when it's destructive. But judgment, discernment is part of our operating system. That's how we judge, you know, who to engage with or where to go so we don't die, right? Anyway, back to uh, closing that loop. But so if, for example, in this case, right, if you have this stressful career and you got to go to the office all the time and you got to manage medications and your partner doesn't agree, right, and there's craziness in the household and maybe you have two ADHDers in the house, as they call them, ADHDers, which I hate. I think it's stupid to label your child with a disorder and make it cute. Anyway, um, that's my opinion right? Just my opinion. But that's a lot of stress in a household. Now, here's the thing. We could think on the surface, we could look at that family. If it was a movie, right? We would look at that family and go, oh my God, that's crazy. And the husband and the wife are arguing and the kid's jumping on the couch and he's screaming and he's throwing stuff and there's stuff all over the place and blah, 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 blah. And they've tried therapy and nothing's working and the kid's on medication, but still it's nuts. And You know, all of that, we could look at it if it was a movie and go, oh my God, that's a lot. And at some point, we would all agree there's a breaking point and 
there's a divorce, for example, right? These are the, the couples that they studied or the families that they studied to say that, oh, well, mo more likely a child that has ADHD will end up leading a family to divorce than a family without children with ADHD, right? They have numbers to back this up. My point isn't to argue those numbers. My point is not is really more to argue the real cause. And so you've heard me say this before. If we look at the ADHD child as a check engine light for something that's not working in the family, that's a different perspective. Why would you do that? Why would you want to do that, Roman? You may ask yourself. Well, what's the other option? The other option is to look at your child as a problem or broken or as the problem, right? You can do that for a while, but now you've done that. What other option do you have? Well, you could look at your child as a check engine light and go, what might this child of ours be pointing out or stressing much like a dam that's about to break right like the water is pushing against the concrete so strongly that eventually the dam breaks what could this child be pressing up against that is about to break and at first we could ask ourselves the question like what's not really working under the hood right what really do we need to look at? Instead of putting duct tape over the check engine light, which I call medication duct tape over the check engine light, it is wise to open the hood and see what's not working. Now, a lot of parents will get very triggered about this. And this is um, kind of reminds me of the refrigerator mother theory back in the day. Um, I don't have the information in front of me, but it was one of the researchers around autism that said, oh, people, you know, kids have autism because they have refrigerator parents. I think they even started with refrigerator mother because the mother was back in the day only supposed to be the one that gives the loving mother nurture, right? We obviously know that both father and mother can be, should be nurturing in both feminine and masculine energies, right? We have both. Um, it's all about balancing it, but that's a whole nother episode. So that term <laughs> caused up a big freaking firestorm, big stir, lots of backlash. Because what parents heard were, was, it's your fault that your child has autism. Now, I'm not here to argue uh, that. I'm not here to say, you know, oh, um, yeah, that's true or not true, right? That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm doing here. What I want to analyze, much like the refrigerator mother, is to say, could it have something to do with how the parents are and have been since the birth of the child or even before? Gabor Mate always talks about how uh, in the womb there's already, you know, influences are already being pressed upon the child. So could it be? And again, this is a could it be because if it's your child that you've tried everything and nothing's working, isn't it? Wouldn't it be worth, worthy of an exploration to say, hey, maybe it's something we're doing or not doing or we have been doing or have not been doing, right? Isn't our child or aren't our children worth us first looking at ourselves before we point the finger at them being the problem 
That's all I'm saying. It's worth it, right? I think it's worth it. What's there to lose? Really, think about this. What is there to lose? I don't think there's anything to be lost. But we get so defensive. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not my parenting. It's not, what are you, t- are you telling me? It's my fault? Oh, no, 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 no. It's the child. It's, it's you know, there's a chemical imbalance and it's a neuro, it's a disorder. No, 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 no. Don't, don't point the finger at me. And I'm just sitting there going like, well, I mean, I'm not pointing a finger. I'm just asking, could we be humble enough and open enough that we want to look at ourselves first? So let's say you do, you're here. Somebody's told you about this podcast and you kind of like what we were saying and you feel you're vibing with it. Great. Continue. Follow me here, right? So I believe, and I wrote this down today, and I'm going to kind of jump ahead by what I'm doing, but then I'll, I'll explain it. I believe it's a chain of events. In my opinion, it's very simple. I believe that the check engine light that's coming up is because one or both parents lack self-love. When we lack self-love, we don't have clear values, character values, because we don't love ourselves. So we don't feel like we deserve character values, to have character values. We usually take on the character values of our parents or culture. You know, we just like a copy paste thing. But we don't ever stop to go like, do I value this? Is this important to me, right? So no lack of self-love, I believe, creates a lack of character values for oneself. Then what that does, it has one or two parents with a lack of establishing boundaries in their lives for themselves in the family, but mostly for themselves first. And that creates resentments, especially in a couple, in a married couple, when two people do not set clear boundaries, then all they have is just one person does something the other doesn't like, and now there's resentment. And resentment piles up, just like you have a pile of dirt. Resentment piles up and eventually sucks the love out of the space and replaces it with righteousness, with a lack of intimacy. And often when, we, when we're looking in regards of parenting, it, it replaces love and actual guidance with this authoritarian, I'm the parent and I know better. And I don't want to get into conscious parenting here, although that is one of my specialties. Um, but again, I'll say it in another way. If there, when there is self-love in a human being, then that person has clear character values because they value themselves, because they love themselves. They then set boundaries for other people to respect them. That creates the respect. And now there's love and intimacy that's possible. So here's my theory. My theory is, and I've been looking for this for a while because you've heard me say, if you've heard me speak in other episodes, you know, I've said before, ADHD children are like check engine lights for the family. I think they're a blessing for us to look at what's not working and what can be improved in the individual parents, in the family, right? Who's ever not wanted improvement? Well, a righteous person who doesn't want to 
take responsibility for the fact that maybe they could do more than they think. Maybe they know they're not doing everything they can as an individual to grow or as a parent to grow. Therefore, they get triggered because what they hear is it's your fault. I'm never saying it's a parent's fault. I'm saying a parent has a lot of responsibility and can potentially do more than they think. And the first step is to say, I'm open. Let's look at this, right? That's why I do this. That's why I do these episodes because I hope that people are open and they take away a nugget so they can make a difference with themselves and in their marriages and their families so the children's nervous systems can calm down. That's the whole point. They can regulate, right? So let's continue. Children with ADHD, I believe, are check engine lights in the family and they are pointing to a lack of self-love. That's a big statement, a big claim, I know. It's a big topic, and I've done uh, an episode on ADHD and self-love. I highly recommend you listen to that as well. But in this case, when a parent doesn't love him or herself, then there's a lack of being able to love another. We can only love people as much as we love ourselves. It is a direct correlation, literally. You can never love anyone more than you love yourself. When we love someone more than ourselves, now it's an obsession. Now it's a neediness. Now it's a not true love. And I've lived through that. And that is not love. And when a parent has a lack of self-love and a lack of character value, there's also a lack of boundary setting. And it creates a lot of um, uh, disorder in the marriage of that family between the, the two partners. And children will feel that. Children can sense when a, a father or a mother is not loving themselves, but telling the children to love themselves or to be great or to be good or to be happy and so forth, but they know that the parents don't love themselves. Children can feel that. And when there's a lack of boundaries, children get out of hand and they don't respect their parents. And when they disrespect their parents, obviously we look at them and we say, well, this child is a rambunctious child that doesn't behave and doesn't listen and so forth, right? So again, not to blame the parents here, not to say it's your fault, your child got ADHD. No, I mean, your child is in front of you. Some group of what we call experts have now labeled them with this disempowering label called disorder, which is like broken, abnormal, not right in the head, you know, like, that's what the child hears. Experts have labeled them with that. So they're in front of you like that. Wouldn't it make sense to just simply stop and say, hey, how am I doing with myself? How is my marriage? And for those of you who've heard me say this before, I do this a lot when I, I coach uh, couples, also couples with what we call neurodiverse children. I don't like that term, but I get it. Um, you know, my first question usually when they come to me and they unload for about usually 20-ish minutes into a, an hour intake session, they unload. And when they're done unloading, my question is, how's your marriage or relationship, right? If they're not married, how's the relationship? And they look at me like, well, we're not here for that. We're, we're, we're here because of our son or daughter. And, you know, because I'm a certified, um, 
you know, conscious parenting coach and a relationship coach, they think they're here for one, but not the other. But I'm here to tell you, it's the same thing. You know, when we do therapy for our young children, really the therapy is done with the parents. I 99% of the time that's been the case. There are cases, extreme cases when there's really uh, some issues, you know, birth defects, brain issues and stuff like that. But that's, that's a small percentage. That's usually three to 5% of the population. I'm talking the other 95% of the time and the same with my clients. It's always an issue underlying the, the, the individual parents or the relationship. It's something in the family. It's not the child. And I stand very strong and firmly with that. And I've had arguments with people who think I'm full of poo-poo, doo-doo, and that that's not true. I stand in that very firmly because I have the experience. A lot of these people are scientists or writers, authors, uh, who've never dealt with, with you know, coaching uh, families with children with ADHD or even just coaching relationships. And I'm not the only expert. I'm not an expert. I don't consider myself an expert, but I have a lot of experience and um, have had a lot of insights over the years researching this. And so when you put two and two together, or when I put two and two together, it was just evident that children with these so-called disorders, these dis- disobedient children or the hyperactive children are causing divorces or causing stress to the parents. Yeah, because they're simply pointing out to us that something's not working for me. And here's the kicker. This is the key word. I don't feel safe and I don't feel loved and I don't feel you pay attention to me and I don't feel understood and I don't feel nurtured, right? Could be all of them, could be one of them, two of them, whatever. It usually goes back to their nervous system not feeling safe. You may tell them you're safe or I love you or I'm here for you if you need me, but it's when they actually need you as a parent, right? When they need us and we show up with, with judgment or make wrong or authoritarian parentism, right? When we show up that way, they quickly take note and they go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. this ain't safe. Not going to do that again. Can't trust my mom. Not going to tell my mom. This does not feel safe. And I want you to know, parents, that often as parents, because we're stressed out about things in life, we're in our heads. We talk to them like adults. Well, you can't do this because if you do this, then this and, da, 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 and you know, we reason with our young children and we're in our heads. They need us to be in our hearts. They want to feel that they're safe and okay. They don't want to understand it. That's not enough. When we tell them, that's just words. Show me. They are more in touch with their bodies than we are. Their bodies will tell them, I'm not safe. Don't feel loved. You're not paying attention. Not feeling it. They can't word it that way because their brains aren't developed enough to analyze that. So, again, my point is that we got to stop in our tracks. When... I'm just saying, when you have a child that's diagnosed, if you're someone who recently had a child diagnosed or you're about to go get your child diagnosed, I know that sounds weird, but a lot of parents, that's their intention. It's not like, let's go see, let's test and see what it is. They're like, well, we're going to get a diagnosis and it's probably it, right? So 
and I don't want to get into it. And there's a whole thing around parents like feeling, oh, I feel so relieved. Now I know what it is. And that's a whole nother uh, stigma that I'm, I'm going to do an episode around because uh, that's not as, as black and white as that. But for now, let's stick to this, right? Like if you are someone who right now is dealing with a diagnosis or had a recent diagnosis, I challenge you to put that aside. And I challenge you to really, really dig and, and, you know, make a list, take a inventory, mental or physical, write it down. I, I urge you to write it down together with your partner. If you're committed to staying in this relationship, making this work and making this family work, especially for your child, who's now going to go through whatever she or he's going to go through, it is worth a sit down and the reflection and to take an inventory of what's not working in the family, individually and for the couple. Individually, anything from, you know, I say I want to lose weight and I don't work out. I, uh, you know, I'm at a job I hate and, you know, I should quit, but I haven't. Or, uh, you know, we're really not having any intimacy or we're not going on any dates or we're anything that's not working. Write it down, make it, take an inventory, make a list. All those things, when they're worked on, when they're taken on with, you know, with rigor of like, let's, let's transform this. So we have a more loving relationship with ourselves and together as the couple. And then that energetically resonates with your child and their nervous system recognizes love and nurture and calm and peace and it will co-regulate with you and you will see your child being less hyperactive less impulsive I guarantee you do I have the scientific studies to back it up no and I'll tell you why recently um we had, uh, uh, we had a, how should I phrase this? Um, we had an opportunity to eventually interview Stephen Faraon, who, Faraon, I can never say it right, who is the top uh, ADHD researcher, one of the top in the world, but I think the top in the US. And we had prepared a document that talked about this co-regulation, this possibility of, of, um, dissolving ADHD symptoms that way. And we got an email back from him after we had published our PDF. And you can download this for free on our website. Uh, it is the um, ADHD Diagnosis Survival Guide for Conscious Parents. It's available for free. If for some reason we've had some issues recently, just email us through the website and I'll, I'll email it to you. And this went out, you know, to an, 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 a group an email was sent out to over 700 people, and he was one of the experts included. And within about 10 minutes, I believe, I got a personal email from him. And so we got engaged in a dialogue. And at some point, he said, well, this co-regulation thing is very interesting. Something to consider. Now, this is somebody who's done years and years and years of research around ADHD. And if he's barely just starting to consider it, you can see how... There is no scientific evidence yet to back that up as much as I would love for it to be there. But I know I can feel it in my body and my bones and every fiber of me 
that this is because we're energetic beings. Our children pick up energy more than they pick up our words, right? Or if we just talk about it and never show it and never take action, they take note and they keep all those notes mentally unconscious and they put it in a folder of either safe or unsafe. And if it's unsafe, if that folder is, you know, has more stuff in it, guess what? They're going to feel more unsafe. And when we feel unsafe, what do we do? We look for distractions because we don't feel safe. We want out of the room or we, we don't want to sit with some unsafe emotion like anger or, or sadness. What do we do? Video games. Like th- the distractions are right there looking for our attention to take it away from us. And so it's all connected, folks. It's all connected. It's all coming full circle. So when you hear about ADHD causing more divorces than non-ADHD families, that simply is a, what I call a surface fact, right? The studies may show those numbers. But what we're not looking at and what we should be looking at, if we were really invested to help our children with this so-called disorder, not just like give them medication and now get better. If we were really invested, and this includes all the experts and all the, the authors and all the politicians, if we really cared about our children, like really cared about them, we would start to, what I call, put our own house in order first before We blame anyone, including our child, as the problem. Before we put blame or responsibility on anyone else outside of ourselves, we better have our own house in order. And guess what? Our own house will never be in order. It's a process. It evolves. It's lifelong. I would even say beyond this lifetime, it's never going to be done, but... The more work we do on ourselves on a daily basis and the more responsibility that we can take and say, hey, this is a child in my life. This child is in front of me. This is my child. This child is here right now. So how could I respond powerfully to this situation? That's what responsibility is, to respond powerfully to any situation at any time with power. Well, what is power? Power is not saying, well, it's the child has a, you know, neurological disorder and it's a chemical imbalance. That gives you zero power. Who does that give power to? Oh, well, the pharmaceutical companies, the doctors, the teachers, and so forth, right? And I'm not saying this in a sort of conspiratorial way. It really gives them the power. But how do you have power as a parent is when we say, okay, this child is in front of me. This is my child. It's right here in my lifetime, right now in this incarnation, staring at me right in front of me, right here. What can I do? Well, I'm here to say what we can do is much more than we've been told we can do. We can switch schools. We can change diets. We can, you know, improve the parents' self-love. We can improve the, the, the marriage uh, and often it's a divorce, but a peaceful divorce so that both parents aren't miserably living together just because they have ch- kids and they should stay together just for the kids. And da, 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 da. All these scenarios, we can transform them to be more loving and nurturing for the children so that their nervous systems can regulate with ours. They always regulate with ours. That's the kicker. If we're stressed and always in our heads and treating them like 
adults and if we're being like uh, you know authoritarian parents and if we want to take charge of control their lives to the t like the helicopter parenting all that they co-regulate with and what it translates to their nervous system is stress lack of love not being nurtured not paying attention all of that then ultimately translates into i'm not good enough or i'm not enough or nobody loves me which then creates their own lack of self-love and now the circle closes. Their own lack of self-love will then create an adult that has no character values or little, sets little boundaries, has a lot of resentments in relationships, which then creates righteousness and the lack of love and intimacy, and they feel unsafe. So it is a cycle. And that's what I wanted to talk about around ADHD and divorce. And that's why I think it's not always black and white when we read those media headlines that tell us, oh, well, you better watch out. If you don't get medication for your child, then you're going to end up in a divorce. And parents go, oh, shit, I don't want to get divorced because, you know, my parents got divorced and it was messy and I don't want my kids to suffer. And then, hey, all justified, right? But they go down this like, oh, shit, I'm going to get, okay, medication. Yeah, good, 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 good. Now, it may calm down their schedule. It may calm down their children. But what's not going to happen is their problems, their individual problems aren't going to go away. The couple's problems aren't going to go away. The child will be pretty much on mute until they become a young adult. And often, and this is scientifically proven with studies that have been subdued by the mainstream narrative, often those young adults then abuse other drugs because they're used to using an external substance to feel better. It's that simple. And we have many interviews on our podcast here where you can listen to adults that were medicated as children and what it's done to them. And so, yeah, you can put the Band-Aid on and it'll mute your child. But the real, the core wounds aren't being looked at. This is about Band-Aids and real wounds. We cannot slap Band-Aids on these deep wounds, these deep lacks of self-love that we have as individual adults. And then the relationships that we create from those wounds, when both parents aren't actively healing that through therapy or workshops. And, you know, there's many ways to go about it. I think as, as a parent, I believe, and in my case, I'm working on that now in my life, is you attack it from all sides. You do whatever is needed. You do your, your plant medicine journeys. You do therapy. You take workshops. You have a coach, uh, you know, like, why not? I am 1000% committed to hiring myself. My friend Anne recently told me about this term, hire yourself, like hire as in level up. Why not? Well, there's two reasons, righteousness and laziness, right? Don't tell me as a parent that it's my fault that my child has ADHD. Yeah, nobody says that. I mean, some people might say that, but they're just, you know, why would you even listen to that? It's not anyone's fault. But that child is in front of you, so you have two choices. Two. One is, you label them, you render them the problem, or you say, wait a minute, what can I do before I make my child the problem 
And then, like I said, we sit down and we look at what's not working in our lives. And we got to be brutally honest. Like, really fucking brutally honest. Everything. Everything that's not working in our lives is worth looking at and is worth transforming to at least let it run at optimal. It doesn't have to be a 10, right? If you made a scale from 1 to 10, not every area of your life is always going to be a 10 and then you're done. No. It vacillates. But if you have areas in your lives that you would rate a 2 or a 3 or a 4, why wouldn't you want that to be an 8, a 7 at least, even a 6 if it's at a 2? Now that's going to take some work. But is there really any other work that's more important than becoming a better human being so that our children can co-regulate with that? And by better, I mean more loving, peaceful, nurturing, kind, calm. Is there any more important work to do? Really? Versus, you know, like what, 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 what's more important? To make $10 million so that everyone has money and they'll be fine in the future. And I mean, is that really, <laughs> I know many millionaires and billionaires and you do too, celebrities that have killed themselves after they've reached the top. That's not the answer. Money helps. It's nice. Live an abundant life. Hell yeah. I want to live an abundant life. I am living an abundant life and I continue to live an abundant life and hope you do too. It's possible for anyone, but the key ultimately, I believe to a fulfilled life is, did I say live? Life. <laughs> the key to a fulfilled life is when we're happy, when we're calm, when we're nurturing, present, loving, giving. That's real happiness. And I'm learning that myself. I'm not perfect. I have ways to go. I'm getting tumbled around by life right now, big time. Been on my knees for days, just the humility and just poof. A lot of growth to do myself. Um, a lot of emotions to process that my parents weren't able to hold space for. You know, sadness, anger, things like that. Because again, they did not love themselves. Because their parents did not love themselves. And look, self-love is, it's, it's a textured term. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It's not about getting massages and eating organic food. and It's, it's all of that, right? It's self-care. But it's true, it's real acceptance. It's forgiving ourselves for the dark stuff that only we know is inside of us, right? There's a beautiful song by my favorite artist, Aisha Badru. Um, and it talks about like being afraid of the dark parts of our heart. And when we can forgive ourselves for not being perfect, right? We've all made mistakes. We're going to make more mistakes. Some of us have done some fucked up stuff, yes. But that's just a bigger challenge to let go and forgive and say, you know what? I did that. I own it. I'm responsible for having done that. I caused this damage. I cleaned it up. And now I forgive myself. I don't, I'm not going to feel guilty about it anymore or have shame. I forgive myself. That's an act of self-love. That's like making a tiny little deposit. Not tiny. I don't want to downplay it. But that's like making a deposit into the bank account called self-love. Every time you forgive yourself, every time you see a flaw or what you think is a flaw or you judge yourself up against someone else and you go, wait a minute, you know what? I do accept my hairstyle right now or my belly or I accept my height or I accept the, the balance in my bank account. 
I accept it right now. And you really mean that? That's another deposit into the bank account called self-love. There's many other ones. But this is just the beginning, folks. Self-love is going to come back around on this podcast many times over. I know it. I can feel it. Because I really feel that that is what's lacking. And the, the education of that, right? We don't really teach. I wasn't taught that. We don't teach that at schools. To me, self-love is way more important than algebra. Way more important than knowing the capitals of our states. Way more important than, um, uh, you know, memorizing some historical fact that you can Google. Way, 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 way more important. Because if we do not love ourselves, then we can't love another. And look around the world how much hatred, how much war there is. And I'm never looking at it from a moral point of view. I'm just looking at it from like, oh my God, we, a bunch of people running around that don't love themselves. So they, actually a bunch of people running around that hate themselves so much that they can hate others so much. That's really the way to put it. I know this has been a kind of a long rant and I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you followed and, you know, uh, you can share this with anyone you feel I could get nuggets out of this. I certainly, every time I do a rant, learn new things. These are not pre-planned. Uh, you know, I don't have notes. Uh, I go into these literally, call it channeling or being open for source to give me information and to just keep talking. And as I'm talking, I'm working things out. As I'm talking, I'm closing circles that I didn't think could be closed in this way. And I always feel like, we owe it to our children. And also, I don't want to neglect the adults here, but we owe it to anyone who's been labeled with a disorder to really say, wait a minute, before we label someone off as not quite normal, have we really done the, the, the due diligence? Have we run the due diligence? Have we really looked at everything here? Have we really tried things that we may consider as non-scientific or that don't really work or... There's no science on it. That's all I'm saying. That's why I do these rants. That's why I do this podcast. Is to mainly <laughs> tickle the brains of people who are interested in helping, uh, in this case, children with ADHD. Like, you know, I've met some people that are really committed to really helping our children to not be labeled, to not go through this, to not be medicated and have all these side effects, to not be broken adults later because of it, dependent adults, right? Dependent on external sources to function and feel like they're a, a good human being, right? All of that, you know, I've met people who really embody the, the willingness to help. And then I've met experts where I'm just, feel, I feel nothing. I feel they're just defending a scientific study or I feel they're defending their point of view because they wrote a book or I feel like they're defending their doctor title or their the school they went to uh but but I don't feel like any love and nurture really to help children and parents I don't feel it and that's something I recently got in my own therapy is that we can trust ourselves to feel when somebody embodies what they're saying and that's going back to what I just shared about, which is, you know, when, when parents say one thing, but the child doesn't feel it, there's a disconnect, right? And it's the same thing. When somebody doesn't embody what they're saying, then we can't feel it. And we need to start trusting ourselves more, that we have that built into us, that internal guidance system. 
it always lets me know when somebody is just talking and I go, yeah, I'm not buying what they're talking about. And then I can trust myself and go like, sorry, moving on. Right. That's the discernment I was talking about earlier. You can call it judgment, but like it's discernment of like, I don't want to hang out with this person because they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Right. That's another way that we we talk about this. Um, So that embodiment to me can only come from a person that truly loves themselves because then they want to love and can love another. And almost all the experts that we've interviewed on this podcast embody the true willingness to help in this case, in this movement. And we've turned down some experts that it was really hard because they have big titles and they're experts on ADHD and world-renowned this and this and this. But when I don't feel the embodiment of truly wanting to make a difference around this topic, I'm not interested to have a conversation because that conversation is going to be all about, well, our study says, da, 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 and so that's not true. And this, da, 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 da. look, I know there's a place for science. <laughs> but recently, I always laugh when I see the yard signs that say science is real. Yeah, well, that's like saying water is wet. Yes, I agree. But it depends who conducted the scientific study. You know, who funded it? And then also it gets cherry picked a lot where not all of it is revealed, right? So it's not just about science is real. Yeah, the, the, the study, the field of science is a real thing. You can go, you can touch it, you can write about it, you can read about it. Yes, but it is way more nuanced and we cannot just take things at face value. And so I'm not interested in arguing with people who refer to a study Uh, that they believe in and that was funded by pharmaceutical companies or their college when there's other studies disproving it that were not funded by pharma. So, you know, that's why I read both studies. And that's why I always see how one side cherry picks and the other side really says, can we please get together in one room and can we please hold a symposium or whatever you want to call it and discuss this? And it hasn't happened yet for a reason. And I don't need to go into this right now. But what I wanted to say is this movement is for people who are truly interested to make a difference and to help people who are getting labeled or medicated with this disorder, basically being branded as not normal, as broken. And I know some people say, well, that's not really, we don't really call them broken or no, no, but that's the internal dialogue that most adults I've interviewed that were medicated as children that were considered rambunctious or hyperactive or ADHD That's the internal dialogue that they have. One of the subjects said that she still, as an adult, now as a mother of four and a business owner, still thinks that there's something wrong with her. Every day when she does something, she goes like, oop, I think something's wrong with me. That's why I did that. Those things, those internal, I call it sentencing yourself for life, right? Those sentencing sentences are not easy to get rid of because they're basically burned into our psyche at an early age and then pretty much um, reaffirmed by society, by the teachers, the doctors, and so that that is the truth. And to unlearn that, to brainwash ourselves as an adult from that takes years and years and years. And that's the damage a label can have. And people so underestimate that damage on a daily basis, I talk to people, say, come on, Roman, the label is, that's not that bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's a label. It's, it's fine. No, it's not. Absolutely not. That's why U.S. veterans in the, in the military service 
do not refer to PTSD as PTSD, but PTS. They dropped the, the word disorder because they know the damage, and they're adults, the damage that that word itself can have. But we slap it on the three-year-olds all the way up to adult, adulthood, right? Anyway, I've said enough. That's been a long circle. So thank you for listening in. If you'd like more information on this podcast or the movement, just go to www.adhdsover.com. You can download the free ADHD Diagnosis Survival Guide for Conscious Parents there. We would love for you to have it. It's a handy little little guide. If you have a family member or someone that's struggling with this and you want to just send them a podcast, we'd be eternally grateful for you to share the links, the website, the PDF, and so forth. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or you have uh, something you want to share with us, just go to the website again, www.adhdsover.com. You can reach us there. And lastly, as I always say, um, you have given your attention so generously and your attention is your most valuable commodity. So thank you for giving it to us, whether it was just for a minute, I guess then you wouldn't hear this message, but you know what I mean to all of you energetically. Thank you if you've listened for a minute or five or 10 or 50. And especially if you're going to forward this to someone, thank you, thank you, thank you. We've gotten so many emails from people who said, oh my God, my friend sent me your website and now I've listened to 100 episodes in a week and changed our lives. I mean, we love, 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 love hearing that because, you know, knowing that it does make an actual difference makes it a little easier to do this for free. Because at this point, we're not sponsored to, we're not making any money. That is not the intention. The intention is to continue spreading awareness, to, to kind of spark some curiosity, right? To have a discussion around like things that we may have not been looking at yet. So all good. Thanks again. Be well. Create a magical day wherever you're at in the world. And until next time. <laughs>